Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth. Good to have you with us. On a hump day Wednesday, middle of the week. No show tomorrow. Last show for this uh, season on... Friday. Good to have you along. You can join us at 437-7644 ESPN 44. It's been a lively week of phone calls. Happy to have more as we continue to uh, put to bed the Syracuse basketball season. Get you set for the final four. May have a snippet of uh, spring football to mix in for later in the show today. We'll visit with Mike Waters of Syracuse.com. Mike has been our regular Thursday guest throughout the basketball season, but with no show tomorrow. Uh, opening day around Major League Baseball, which is exciting too, and I know Mike's a fan of that. So we've uh, moved Mike up a day, and we appreciate his flexibility. We'll really get into the roster management of Syracuse basketball. Uh, another player trimmed from that roster uh, since last show yesterday with Braden Bayer announcing on Instagram. That's how players do it now. Matthew Moyer was on the twit, and uh, Bayer on the gram. Uh, they are uh, moving on. Bayer obviously seeking to uh, have a little bit more of a basketball role, which uh, while he got into a couple of games this year, doesn't figure to be a a long-term thing or uh, a true member of the rotation here. Certainly accounted for himself very well in his uh, emergency time on the floor. The fact that he went out there to close out the Michigan State game will certainly be his legacy as part of this program. Uh, Really good guy different than your typical walk-on in his approach, his physicality, his ability. He improved over time, and uh, he's a baller, and I know he wants to play. And so for him to go to another school to play is a smart decision and one that uh, everybody certainly supports. Matthew Moyer the day before that, uh, same kind of situation as uh, Moyer, not likely to get a ton of playing time next year at least, and I think you'll see – while Bayer's probably going to go to a, you know, if he could go to a lower Division One program, uh, like a couple that are in this state, uh, Daily Orange article today talking about Binghamton and Fordham, certainly a Binghamton, a Colgate, something like that would be great for Bayer, and he could play and, and contribute to teams like that. Moyer, look for him to go to a strong academic school. Uh, he's in the Newhouse School here, uh, has in his mind, has his interest in, communications. I thought maybe a Northwestern would be a nice one for him. Uh, Back toward the Midwest, he's from Columbus, Ohio. A little bit lower profile in terms of uh, the program, but obviously the competition is no joke uh, in the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, he's a top 100 recruit and an opportunity maybe for him to uh, fit in there. And I think wherever he is, you know, Northwestern, Dayton, you know, other schools that have strong academic reputations – I think that uh, that's where you're going to see him land. And, and we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Would uh, love to see those two thrive on uh, their next landing spot. Coaching news, you know, the Jeff Capel to Pittsburgh, Chris Mack to Louisville, particularly Mack to Louisville, I don't know that those are huge surprises. To me, the most notable 
items on those hires is not who went to those jobs because I think they both make sense. It's a good get on uh, either side for Pittsburgh and Louisville to retain those coaches. Seven-year deals. When have you heard that recently pointed out and enumerated right from the start that it's a seven? I think five is kind of the standard, maybe four. In some cases, three if it's an interim coach and you're not so sure. But five, let's call the ballpark starting point. To get seven-year contracts tells me that the commitment is being made by the athletic directors and the administrations at those schools to ride out tough situations. Pittsburgh has a very bare cupboard here. They could potentially lose, in essence, their whole team that didn't win a game in the conference anyway. So Jeff Capel's starting over. No reason to think Pitt will be good in the next couple of years. And there's going to have to be some time and uh, and let them go. So that's seven years for Jeff Capel, former Oklahoma head coach. He's clearly got some accomplishment. And then uh, of recent, a strong recruiter for Coach Krzyzewski at Duke. We just threw out in the last few seconds of the show yesterday. I'd love to see our friend uh, Greg Paulus wind up as an assistant at Duke. Bump everybody up, move Paulus in there. Duke is like Syracuse and Connecticut in that it's a program that's been led under one sort of figurehead for a long period of time. And just like Coach Beheim's assistants are all former players, that's the case at, at Duke. All of the assistants there are former players, and uh, maybe that could be a fit for Greg. The uh, Chris Mack to Louisville opens up Xavier. Don't be stunned if... Mark Schmidt at St. Bonaventure, who was in the mix at Pittsburgh, goes back to Xavier where he had been an assistant under Skip Prosser, opening up St. Bonaventure, which is a very appealing program for a number of the uh, people that we tend to talk about around here. You know, Patrick Beeline at LeMoyne, what kind of fit would he be at uh, St. Bonaventure? Certainly uh, he has an asp- aspirations to coach at a higher level and a good time for him to move on and uh, exciting stuff there for what uh, could be his next step as the two-time coach of the year in their conference. So uh, all kinds of good stuff there with the comings and goings of uh, folks around college basketball. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can at 437-7644 or 4 ESPN 44. Mike Waters coming up. Do we care? We'll get into baseball quite a bit. Three baseball-related topics, the major leagues, opening their season tomorrow, earliest opener, uh, really, instead of what had been in recent years, the Sunday night. It used to be Tuesday. It used to be the Reds opened up the season every year, uh, but they have extended the Major League Baseball season uh, just in the way the NBA has as well to uh, create a somewhat better uh, schedule and playing environment for the players. So it's the same number of games over a little bit longer a period of time, and the uh, season starting a few days early on a Thursday, big day tomorrow on ESPN. It's certainly here on ESPN Radio as uh, baseball will be underway. The uh, Yankees' quest for 162-0 and is about to begin. To see the article on, uh, it was in New York Times, on John Sterling claims that he's got a, a cheeky Giancarlo Stanton home run call that he hasn't yet unveiled some sort of Italian expression. I guess nobody really cares that Giancarlo Stanton is, does not have any Italian <laughs> heritage, which is a little odd given uh, his name, but uh, 
Sterling's going to trot out. Obviously, he's going to trot out something new for the new guy. We so, were going to ask him when he was in studio with us. Yeah, he doesn't he want would, to reveal. He he has, he's it. been using a dummy call in uh, in spring training, even. So keeping that keeping that top secret, huh? Keeping it under wraps. Um, so we'll see what uh, what he's got. Uh, but I don't I don't know Italian. I don't know common Italian phrases. I don't even know what'll be clever when he says it. Most of those things I think are. Uh, bogus and corny but uh we've come to love them haven't we you get to to know the a bomb from a rod and gardener plants one you know i actually think that one's probably the least cheesy of uh most of them there was a in this uh, particular new york times piece yesterday on uh on john sterling and his hunt for the perfect uh, john carlos stanton call i wasn't aware I guess I, I think I listened to Yankee games pretty closely. I wasn't aware of uh, previous changes that have been made at the request of players. Uh, whatever his original. Oh, uh, Nick Swisher did not prefer the you know you're so jolly Nick or whatever the heck it, you know jolly Saint Nick something like that. And then uh, that's what got it changed to Swisherlicious. Swisher Swisherlicious. <laughs> Hard to say without spitting on the microphone. You can't go to the play-by-play guy and tell him to change his call. Uh, you really can't, but uh, big league players do a lot of those types of things. And how does he even hear it? Oh, you <laughs> like, hear it. Do you think yeah. it gets back to well, him? Like, he's yeah, calling you, you Jolly St. Nick. When sure, because they'll, you know, they'll re- repackage it and use it on the scoreboard. And, and uh, yeah, players hear that stuff eventually, one way or the other, or their people hear it, and it gets, gets uh, back to them. So... Can't wait. Another uh, baseball season. Hopefully it'll soon feel like baseball weather. That now makes begs me to ask you, have you ever been approached by someone about something, even if it's anything about something you said on the air by a, uh, oh, 100%. a player, coach or something? 100%, yeah. Um, the, the one that first comes to mind is, uh, and it's interesting, It's when, I, when I'm asked that, it's the one that first comes come to mind as a response because it's a very notable player. My first baseball job, with the uh, Phillies Class A uh, team in North Carolina, we had an outfielder named Ricky Williams who would go on to win something called the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was a uh, uh, running back at Texas and a professional baseball outfielder. Ricky Williams probably to this day is still the fastest player I've ever seen on a baseball field. Absolutely lightning. Would hit a ground ball to short and just beat it out. And until all the infielders started to realize, you know, you really got to hustle on this guy. And then sometimes they'd make errors because of that. But uh, he just wasn't much of a hitter. And obviously his uh, professional baseball career was short-lived. But he was going through a slump and did not appreciate that. And I don't, I'd have to go back and listen. I, I was green back then. I don't think I belabored the point any more than just sort of pointing it out. He's two for 17. He's two for 19. He's two for 21. You know, that's part of the deal of being a professional baseball player. But what happens is the players themselves are rarely as upset as they don't want to hear about it. They get the calls from their mom or their girlfriend or their wife or their wife and their girlfriend and, and their mom. And that's, that's what happens. So my rule of thumb is always like, okay, why don't you listen to what I said? And if you have a problem with it, we'll discuss it. If it's just sort of what, your mom thinks I said and told you I said, then it's probably uh, getting 
distorted. But yeah, you hear about that. I mean, you can't uh, do this for so long without uh, without ex- expecting that people, you know, and that's why you got to make sure you, you say stuff that's fair and accurate and, and go from there. But uh, Ricky Williams, he was a different kind of cat. Uh, a whole other set of stories about him that we, we probably should have told to make this show interesting <laughs> at some point. But uh, we'll head to a break here. We'll come back with uh, noted Ricky Williams uh, fan and uh, yoga buddy Mike Waters when we come back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The latest sports news, scores, opinion, and commentary. If that's not enough, you should seek professional help. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back in the booth, brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Our last visit of this uh, basketball season with our friend Mike Waters of Syracuse.com, brought to us as always by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. Are you crying there, Mike? It's sad, isn't it? Last visit? Not, I mean, you-, you and I can still talk. We can head to lunch or something, but I don't have a show beyond Friday, and I'm even mailing it in tomorrow. <laughs> So good to know. T- time's running out. Uh, How's that going to sound any different from all the other ones? Exactly though, right. Exactly right. Who's going to know? Uh, Major League <laughs> Baseball opening. Who do the O's uh, open with? The Yankees. I should know. I know. I should no, know that. I but. I'm so ashamed. I've been so yeah. like neck deep in basketball. I I don't even. We'll know. Uh, stand by. We'll my, we'll, my, we'll compute that for you. Open with. This is horrible. Don't, don't do the work. Well, you know. Here's the thing. With uh, with baseball, there's 162 games. The very fact that they have a game is all you need to know because that's what we're here to enjoy. They've got a 305 or tomorrow, Mike, uh, at Camden Yards against the Twinkies. Oh, we're going to be in first place by tomorrow night. There you go. There you go. It's great. Uh, the Twins are much improved, though. Uh, Dylan Bundy against Jake Odorizzi, who's a new twin. Ooh, okay. Tomorrow. All right. So, but I like D- D- Dylan Bundy. He's one of our... Um, Good pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> one of the few. It's not a long list. He's, he's one of the guys that somebody else might actually want one day. <laughs> That's right. July 31st, they'll come calling. So uh, I did see, uh, look like it got snowed out just this weekend. It was Army-Navy at Camden Yards. I would have actually tuned in for a minute or so of that game, but uh, by the time I clicked over, it was snow on the field. Yeah, well... You know, it's it's what happens this time of year. It's fine. Listen, if it's if they're playing baseball, it's a it can only be a good thing. And 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 shortly they'll be playing uh, over at our local ball yard. The, the Chiefs will be back. That's right. Looking forward to. They open on the road uh, for the first time that I can recall in many many years. They uh, have I think it's six division games in a row to start in Scranton and Rochester, and then they are uh, home for a nice homestand uh, beginning uh, two weeks from tomorrow on Thursday the 12th. So uh, last year was the first opening day I missed on a lot of years. And I'll be out there on Thursday the 12th. Looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, that uh, concludes the uh, baseball portion of our conversation with with, uh, Mike Waters. Basketball writer Mike Waters. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So uh, the, the heading I had for our discussion today, Mike, is roster management. And... You know, there still are some moving parts to figure out exactly what the uh, 2018-19 Syracuse basketball team is going to look like. But uh, let's begin with Matthew Moyer and uh, Braden Bayer, who are on their way to another uh, different opportunities. 
Yeah, and I, and I understand both young men's decisions. Braden, I think, is a little bit easier to, to understand. He was a, a former walk-on, came from a, a Division three Grinnell College out in Iowa, um, was awarded a scholarship this past December because one was available, and that was great. And so, you know, his parents were saved a little bit of, uh, you know, finances there, which is good. But Braden and I had talked briefly as far back as January. Um and basically, he didn't want it on the record at the time, but had, had talked to me about he was probably going to spend his fifth year of eligibility at another school and become the, you know, graduate from Syracuse and become a fifth year grad transfer, mainly because while he had really enjoyed his time uh, playing a, a, in a program at the highest level of the college game, he was looking forward to p- spending at least one of his last season playing. Yep. And, you know, he's, he's basically, you know, kind of on the borderline between a walk-on and, and sort of a scholarship guy at Syracuse. He's not in the plans here. He's not going to play unless everybody fouls out against Michigan State in the yeah. tournament. Uh, and which kudos to him, he's going to go down in Syracuse lore for his role in that win. But he wants to play. You know, he wants to be, you know, play, start, contribute, you know, somewhere at the college level. And he, I can't blame a kid for that, so... He'll go and do that. Um, Matthew Moyer, you know, who knows? You know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, over the past season about Matt and his future. When you look ahead the next year, O'Shea Brissett returns most likely. Darius Baisley, who we'll see tonight in the, in the McDonald's All-American game, comes in with an incredible high school pedigree. Marek Dolajai had passed Marek, um, had passed Matt on the ladder. Uh, this year, so he heads in the next season as the fourth forward. Well, usually that that's the first forward that doesn't play, right? Uh, you know, so you know, is he to come back means next year, unless an injury or something we're not looking for happens, he's not playing. He would still have two years eligibility after that. He had to weigh whether he was willing to wait around here and roll the dice on being in the rotation as a junior senior versus going somewhere else. And it's going to cost him a year of eligibility. Uh, he'll only have two years left to play wherever he goes. I thought the one thing that might keep Matthew here at Syracuse was he was a student in uh, the Newhouse school. And if you're looking at a post-basketball playing career and you're Matthew Moyer, to get a degree from Syracuse University, and especially to, to you know your major, your majoring in communications at Newhouse, and your athletic director's previous gig was at ESPN, and he could probably pick up a phone and get you a meeting or an audition or something with a number of places. You know how much would that play into his you know, decision? At the end of the day, I, I think he made a decision based on you know, where he's going to play the most in college. And I get that too. No, I think in my quick version of both, I don't think either of them are big surprises. Braden had his fire lit this year by an opportunity to be on the court at all, which is more than can be said for typical walk-ons. We're talking about in the non, you know, mop up against Cornell division. Uh, (laughs) Anything beyond that is exciting. I think it, you know, got him thinking, well, you know, I could have played at Grinnell all of these years. Grinnell didn't fit from a social perspective. This place he mm-hmm. loved and uh, gave everything in practice. And, and now uh, I think he wants to test himself 
as a mainstream player somewhere, so that'll be good. And I, I said the same thing about Moyer the other day. He's rare in his distinction with the Newhouse connection. I think you'll see him wind up at another uh, impressive academic situation. I think it's very important in his family. It's very important with his parents. Uh, and, you know, obviously he can hang on the, the basketball court, but, uh, you know, his future is not in the NBA. And let, let's see where he goes with uh, his incredible personality and, and uh, some of those things. So I think he'll be missed uh, definitely from that perspective and to the point of connections at Syracuse, I don't think he's closed the door on those either. You know, those those types of things will uh, still be available to him. So what does the staff do, Mike, um, with these a couple of extra scholarships? Because I think we've all been looking forward to next season, and you, the only real swing you're talking about generally is whether, whether – uh, Tyus Battle and to a lesser extent O'Shea Brissett pass on the NBA for another year and stay. But now if you've got two more scholarships, there could be some additions that we didn't necessarily anticipate. There could be. Uh, it's a kind of a tricky situation. It's not like you can go, oh, wait, we have a scholarship now, and you, if, and you just immediately run up to the grocery store and, and, and go into the shooting guard aisle. Right. Um, you know, recruiting is based on relationships, and usually it takes time. Uh, to develop those. So without having recruited a lot of kids that are still available in this year's recruiting class, it's going to be hard for them to go out and, and, you know, add to this year. Now there's a couple of kids, maybe they've had some conversations with, there was a big kid down in in the New Jersey area, Major Majok, I think his name was, but they're looking at big kids in the class after that too. So then they have to weigh the benefit of like, well, if we add another center this year, you know, how will that impact our recruiting the following year and are getting too many big men in the system? The possibility of a grad transfer, I suppose, is always out there. I would imagine the coaching staff is going to be a little bit more circumspect uh, after what happened with Geno Thorpe. I think you learned one thing with Geno. A lot of fifth-year grad transfers want to go somewhere where there you're going to play sizable, consistent minutes, if not start. And I don't know if Syracuse can offer any you know, fifth or grad transfer that. You know, I, what starting job is available when you look to next year? I don't, I don't think there is a starting job available. So then if you're taking a fifth-year grad tra- transfer, you got to find that, that special kind of kid that's willing to come in and play a role. Well, you know what's and funny, there, there Mike? there are some. I mean, like the, Mark Denall down at Clemson. Sure. Uh, you know, played uh, played a role. He didn't start. He he, he played a, a a really important role on on the, in the front line there for Clemson. So you know, you there there are guys like that, but it, it's not as easy. So you, could they add one? Yeah, uh, we'll kind of have to see who becomes available on the fifth year grad transfer market. This is not to cry over spilt milk, but the description of the type of guy that makes sense to come to Syracuse as a grad transfer, Geno Thorpe fits that description. It's the <laughs> You know, it's the kind of guy who was a, more than a contributor. He was the best player at an afterthought kind of program that wants to step it up, right? How, how is that any yeah. different than what's worked, you know, with the occasional Ivy League guy going to a Louisville or wherever that's like, look, I'm a big fish in a small pond. This isn't working out for me anymore. I'm going to go somewhere and maybe take a lesser role at a place where basketball is taken seriously and it just didn't work out with Gino. I, I don't know that it, it by definition won't work out with the next guy. I think 
you know, certainly John Gillen served a purpose by yep. being here, and he would be in that category. You know, people are not, generally speaking, going from one major program to another as grad transfers because if they were that good in a major program, then they're going pro, not not to another uh, another college. So right. it remains to be seen, but, may, but maybe there's we'll a see. fit. You know, you know, know I think when he came here, expect he either expected to start or he expected to get a lot more consistent big minutes. Sure. And in those first six games, that didn't happen for a variety of reasons, one of which he had a hurt ankle in the preseason. He didn't get a chance to, to really play and play healthy. Uh, so I think he gave up on himself and the program awfully fast. But still, it, it shows how hard it is uh, when you're, you're recruiting somebody on such a uh, limited time base. Uh, to get to know these, you know, the one that worked out best of the three grad transfers Syracuse has had in the past two years is the kid that took the most time to make his decision, Andrew White. Yeah, well, did his homework he, he, and was a mature kid. Yep, I'm thinking yep. of one. And he knew in coming here, he had a definitive role. He was going to come in. He was going to start. They they wanted him for his shooting and his scoring ability, and, and that's he. Everything was laid out here for him. It was pretty clear cut, and it worked out great. The uh, and his name is, escapes me right now, but the kid who went from Columbia to Cal that was recruited for the year prior—that's the type of guy that you could see maybe coming in with a very specific skill, you know, as a shooter and uh, and have a role. But again, with with Buddy Beheim, they probably have uh, that type of role uh, covered for next year. Not that you can never have uh, too many shooters. Okay, last thing, uh, Michael, as we uh, start to head for home here, you mentioned the McDonald's All America game. Got actually a couple of last things for you. McDonald's All America game. Tonight, what are you looking for most from Darius Baisley? Not much. I don't really care. Um, I've seen guys go out and kill it in, the, in all-star games, and then they wind up not playing great in college. And then you have other guys that are like, wow, he didn't even get the ball. Um, and they end up bringing Malachi Richardson in the Jordan Brand Classic. I don't think uh, he might have got up three shots. I don't even know if he made one. <laughs> I was there in person to witness it. Meanwhile, Isaiah Briscoe dominated the ball. The crowd loved it. They were he's going between his legs and juking and all this stuff. And basically, he was a ball hog the whole time. But he was the one that was stealing the show. And Malachi Richardson got his team to a Final Four and was a one-and-done, whereas Briscoe had to go back to Kentucky for his second year. Then he goes pro. I don't even know if he's in the NBA. But, you know, it's uh, – and I, and I saw some stats today. Uh, Jeff Borzello and Jeff Goodman of ESPN showed that of, um, more than 50% of, of over the last 20 years of, of the McDonald's, all players in the McDonald's game, um, it was about 52 or something like that percent played less than 25 games in the NBA. Wow. You know, it, so you don't know. I mean, I, I put very little stock in all-star games. I'm going to watch from a pure entertainment standpoint, and I'll be keeping my eyes on Darius Baisley, obviously. But unless you know, he does something incredible and super impressive, I'm not going to get all freaked out if he doesn't do much tonight. Because you know, I've seen really good players not do much in All Star games. Yeah, well, it's the culture too. It's I think it's yeah. impacted by position. You know, there are some guards who can show you, "Hey, look at me!" and I facilitate with all these other good players, and then 
generally speaking, the culture is drive right to the basket and, and, and look for yours. I go to that top 100 camp every year at the University of Virginia, and it's a lot of really good players, but it's hard to evaluate them because especially point guards, really rare is the guy that uh, tends to set everybody up. Uh, and those, those types of guys stick out. Grant Mullins was the, the player that I was thinking of before he transferred yep. from uh, Columbia to Cal. And last thing, uh, Mike, just your quick take on what we'll see at the Final Four on Saturday where you got uh, Sister Jean against uh, John Beeline on, uh, in one game and then really the clash of Kansas and Villanova in the other. You know, I'm really looking forward to to both of them in two entirely different ways. I'm I'm, I'm on the on the one side of the bread with Loyola and Michigan. You got two teams that are just incredibly hot and playing incredibly well. You know, one's an 11 seed. I'm not, I can't remember what Michi- Michigan is, but they're not a one or a two. Yeah, uh, they're three. At I the believe. same time, even though they're not high seeds, they're they're playing so well. They deserve to be where they're where they're at now, and I'm interested to see which of them, with this week past week now, can 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 keep that up. I kind of got the feeling both of them can. Um, Loyola's been playing this way for a long time. Uh, they dominated their league. I think they were like 17 and one in the in the Missouri Valley. Michigan's just been clicking ever since the the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, and on the other side of the bracket, it's like, man, you're, you're, you're talking two blue buds. Uh, they, these are great, great teams. Uh, two teams that, I, even with everybody's busted brackets this year, these are the teams that aren't a surprise that you could have predicted uh, would be there, even though uh, I don't know that I did. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny. There was a, a Kansas Homer uh, Twitter account that today t- tweeted out this breakdown of how many of the so-called experts picked Kansas to the Final Four, and like at ESPN, it was one of twenty-eight. At CBS, it was zero for nine, <laughs> which is astonishing. They were a number one seed. I know that you know Kansas has uh, first-world problems, and this is not their best team of all time. But uh, sometimes those are the ones that get it done. So, uh, well, and, and Duke was uh, was Duke was in that bracket. Duke was a good yeah, team, and yeah. and Michigan you know, State, the, with, obviously. Yeah, you know, so you know, there were other teams on the board that are legitimate picks there, and. And I think Duke might have been mine with uh, with everything they had. And geez, you, you, I was pretty darn close to being right. That was a great game. One I'd like away. to see another game. You know, when, when they play on Saturday, I'd like I'd love to see another Kansas Duke type game. That was fun. That was a great game. Um, I am a little surprised Kansas is here. They're not super deep, especially up front. Uh, the big kid gets into foul trouble all the time. Uh, but they got guys on the perimeter that can shoot the heck out of the ball. Syracuse saw that firsthand way back in December in Miami. Uh, those guys, Vic Newman uh, and Devontae Graham, most especially, man, they, they can shoot the heck out of the ball. It's an entertaining group. Yeah, it'll be a great uh, one on, on Saturday. Looking forward to it. And uh, Sister Jean Bobblehead, did you get yours already or are you waiting? <laughs> I've not ordered mine, but you know what I did do? I went down to the old Halloween bin. And I pulled out uh, one of my kids' old um, Halloween outfits, uh, which was a Harry Potter deal. There you go. So I, I have a Loyola colored scarf. I like uh, it. So. <laughs> Hogwarts playing for the national championship. Right. <laughs> go Gryffindor. Good, yes, that's right. Good, uh, good stuff, Michael. Uh, appreciate your visits all these weeks uh, during the hoop season. And uh, we'll do an unplugged version uh, maybe at a local barbecue joint or something like that. That sounds fantastic. We could sell tickets. Uh, let's book it. All right. 
Mike Waters, H2O, brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. You two just got me into a vortex that I couldn't get out of. I was I, looking at fifth-year seniors. Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. There's a center from Houston who averaged three points a game, if you're no. interested. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> but you never know. Change of scenery it would not be the top of the list. Neither is Joe Salzone, but he'll be here next <laughs> in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. But there were just certain factors that we felt going and it would be too tough for Syracuse to overcome unless you checked all the boxes and you had people play the game of their lives, which did not happen. Tyus Battle was great. Frank Howard was not. O'Shea Brissett certainly missed some opportunities, ended up with 15 points. So you lose by four. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Here's Joe Salzone. It's a pre-opening day edition of Do We Care? A Marlins fan wanted to pay for season tickets and wrote a check for $200,000. The team rejected the Marlin man's offer, which would have covered the tickets Wait, until 2020. This was Marlins man? Yeah. So this is the first I've heard of any of this. Uh... Marlins man's a whole different kind of cat, but now there's been like a falling out between uh, he and the Marlins, right? So that is that what's at play here? Yeah, he got. Fired. I didn't have time to to research the the story further. That's because uh, my first thought was if it's just any old Marlins fan that's showing up with a check and wants to buy tickets, you pick them up in a limo and you <laughs> sell them as many tickets as they want and you thank them profusely and you put a plaque with their name on the seats and do whatever you need to do to keep them. Marlins man, who not only obviously has Marlins season tickets, he obviously has a lot of money and a lot of time on his hands. He pops up at all these baseball games, every Sunday night game, all the World Series. He's in the seat. Even if you haven't thought you've seen him before, you've seen him. Trust me, he's on every game on TV, sits in the loud orange Marlins jersey, the sometimes sideways Marlins uh Visor, you'll see him at the NBA Finals. He pretty much always has the best seat in the house. But he and the Marlins now have some sort of issue. I think part of it is he thinks of himself as like he's a part owner of the team or kind of oversteps his bounds from a a fan perspective. But I can't fathom that they wouldn't let him buy these tickets. And what do you mean $200,000, which would have covered the tickets? Covered he, what tickets? He wanted, took, that's he, only three seasons. Yeah, he wanted to uh, use that money as a, a down payment, I guess he would call it, uh, for this season, next season. Yeah, but $200,000 worth of tickets, That's his season ticket doesn't cost sixty-seven grand. His tickets were two hundred and. $75 a ticket is what they were right, so asking. So double that's just for round numbers so, 500 that's a th- you know. So he was offering 205 for the next 3 years to them. So he's like bartering with them. Oh, he's looking for a little package deal based yeah. on his commitment. Yeah, so he, Yeah, I, would, I don't know that I would accept that, but it's that it wouldn't be too, face value of those tickets like if he pays them is well short of 200,000. 
He said he even offered a $600,000 check for the next 10 years. <laughs> What's wow. this guy do for a It's a lawyer. Uh, is he? He's got a whole Twitter account, the, the whole deal. He, he can't, certainly isn't uh, burning the midnight oil as a lawyer. Uh, he's out of town <laughs> a lot now. He could work from the road or whatever, or maybe his work t- takes him to, to some of these things. He's not billing a lot of uh, office hours, I wouldn't think. The Texas Rangers have introduced their menu for the upcoming season. One item getting attention is the Dilly Dog. It's a dill pickle stuffed with a hot dog and then deep fried. All over it. Whew. Give me one. And here's the thing. Uh, I'd make a slight distinction. I think the uh, the dog to pickle ratio is a little off. Yeah. I think because what it is, it's the a tiny little hot dog in the center of a pickle. And then that is basically turned into a corn dog. Right. I think, give me a good hot dog. It's got to stand on being a good hot dog to begin with. Then maybe wrap it in like those pickle slices. Mm-hmm. So now you got more dog than pickle. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you dip it in the batter and fry it. I'm going no. I'm saying a big fat no on this one. That does not look covered it, with the mustard. It looks like a olive with a yeah. Well, that's what I'm getting at. I yeah, mean, it's, it's too. Not- if the Marlin Man was to pay me $200,000, I'll eat it. I'd eat it yeah. for free. But I just, I don't know. I don't want anybody eating that next I like to me. The, uh, <laughs> the whole proliferation of uh, the kind of crazy food that you see at ballparks now, what a tremendous job that has to be. All these different things. And I love to go to baseball games. And I love, you know, I love the regional stuff, like things that are unique. The uh, crab fries in Philadelphia. Uh the kind of the nachos with the uh, Old Bay seasoning and all that stuff that you get at uh, Camden Yards with the crab meat on top and fantastic. I, I believe uh, one of the stadiums, I thought it was the Cleveland Indians, were doing a bologna and garlic so say, why is sandwich. There, you, you did a Google and Doug Marone's face yeah. came up. Yeah, He's no, a, a noted bologna sandwich aficionado. Yeah, there's a bologna, a fried bologna sandwich. That would be going. very Cleveland. I, I It'd be hard to get too excited about a bologna sandwich. Yeah, I, I don't order. You're not ordering bologna. No, anyway. well, you can't. It's hard. You can't get excited. Like to me, it's the type of food you couldn't get at home. Uh, it's got to celebrate the festive atmosphere. You know, we talked about this during the summer, and we had an epic baseball trip. Uh, happy birthday to the boss today, by the way, and he, he's taking us on another trip here in uh, a few weeks. But it's amazing how baseball is marketed. Like the fans that are there spending ridiculous amounts of money and totally happy about it, to me, is such a study in uh, the economy and in marketing. And, you know, you go into that Delta Club at Yankee Stadium, which is who knows what to get in there in the first place. Let's say, uh, I don't know, $125 a, a ticket. Then you gleefully go up and buy an $18 meatball sub and a $12 Heineken. You know? <laughs> So just at minimum, a seat, a sandwich, and a drink, you're in for like 175 bucks, yeah. you know, and you, you do it with a smile on your face, and then you take pictures, and you, you elbow your buddies, and aren't we lucky? And It, it blows my mind. I will say the Braves have the best-looking food so far. They've got uh, tater tot nachos. Yeah, great. chips nachos. All, hey, this is, not, uh, this is not difficult to figure out. It's the same formula, you know. Something fried, uh, something somewhat traditional, 
easy to eat with your fingers, that type of thing. Fun. That's what we're looking for. I think it'd be a fun uh, gig to try to figure that out. And a Dodgers game had to be suspended after a sewage pipe at Dodger right. Stadium. How, how many? You've worked here a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when Paulie's giving the international sign for we're going to break, and I'm giving the enough <laughs> I enough. Like, I, didn't even, I didn't even see Paulie's uh, kind gesture. Of, We'll just double up on breaks here, so we'll get out in two minutes here. So I don't, do, do but that, I don't want to follow the food with the this. <laughs> and the, go, but, Joe. Do, whatever it needs to happen for Joe to be done with his thing, let's make that happen. It it causes a sea of uh, excrement. Uh, one player described exactly. it, yes, as a quote crappy way to end the spring. <laughs> in more ways than one, and for the show. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this season, everybody. Kill it, Joe. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. Back, we hope. Maybe not. Well, that's that. going to wrap the show for oh, today. Is it? Okay, yeah. great. We're going to double up on Tremendous a work, everybody. Maybe we'll just mail it in on Friday, too. It's been great knowing all of you. <laughs> ESPN Radio Syracuse.